Welcome to the Morning Ritual Podcast, meditations and conversations to set the tone for your day. I'm your host, Lily Balch, and today we have Katie Horwich on the podcast. So Katie is a writer, a speaker, a mindset coach, and a women's empowerment activist. And I'm so excited to get to know Katie, her story, and and learn about all the things she has to offer. And she recently, super recently, um, had her latest book, Want Yourself, published. And it's all about shifting your negative self-talk. So I definitely want to get into that. Um, But first off, welcome. Welcome to the podcast, Katie. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me, Lily. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so pleased you're here. And yeah, I want to kind of dive right in because I I saw in the first part of your book, Want Yourself, Mm -hmm. you were saying how shifting your self-talk is a two-part process, right? We got to shift the self and we got to shift the talk. And up until this point, I've kind of thought about self-talk and shifting the self-talk as going right to the talk. Like we're going to, you know, I've caught that negative thought loop. Let's just replace it with positive words, if that makes sense. So I want you to just clear up all of that and and explain to us what is this two-part process about? Well, you are not alone, which is part of the reason that I wanted to write this book. And I was so, I am so passionate about this work because I think that, I mean, I don't want to say it's always been for, but for as long as I can look back at, I think that when it comes to shifting our self-talk and usually when we say that the the word that we leave out that's implied is shifting our negative self-talk, right? I think that it can be really easy to skip straight to the talk part and not because we are necessarily looking to take the easy way out or bypass any sort of deeper work or anything. But I think that when we think of self-talk, we do think of the words and the phrases that we are saying to ourselves, whether it's in our heads or out loud. And I think that's the conversation that we have about it, right? Whether that is online or within our different friend groups or colleagues. But what's really interesting is that there's actually research that shows that not everybody has an inner monologue, which to me, as someone who I have had an inner monologue for as long as I can remember, probably before I could even string together full phrases, To me, I thought, oh, that's so interesting because if I think about shifting my negative self-talk and I decide, okay, I'm going to start with the words, it's replacing like for like, right? But if you're one of those people who doesn't have an internal monologue and you're experiencing your self-talk, if you will, through feelings, visuals, some people have described it as a movie playing out in their mind, then What's going to happen is a form of cognitive dissonance is going to develop where you feel like, well, I need to shift my negative self-talk 
I'm doing all of these things that people tell me to do, but I haven't even, I don't even know what I was saying to myself in the first place. And so people start to reach for whatever they feel like are the easiest words to describe what they're feeling, but that's not who they are at their core. That's not how they walk through the world. And moreover, what can happen is when you are feeling these more negative, if you will, because I do believe that self-talk is neither good or bad. It's information. It's we do with that information that informs where we go from there. But what can happen is if you are feeling self-doubt, fear, low self-esteem, low self-worth, and you jump straight to telling yourself something that you want to believe, but you don't believe it, you know that you're lying to yourself. And so there's actually also research that shows that whatever positive self-statement we say to ourselves, whether that is in the form of formal affirmations or mantras, they're wonderful. They're a tool, right? However, they're one tool and they can be a tool that actually can do more harm than good if you are in a place where you don't even have a seed of belief yet in what you're saying. So it's super, super fascinating. And I am really passionate about getting underneath what's under all of that talk to begin with, because the talk is symptomatic, whether it's actual words or it's feelings, but what's underneath, however people experience their sort of self-told story, if you will, is the self part. And so if we're able to develop that core, that strong sense of self, which, you know, we can get into later, because I think that that can be sort of a buzzy phrase, but then we don't really know what it means. And so we get stuck. Um, that's when the talk can start to follow suit because we end up speaking a language that matches what we are fluent in on the inside, if that all makes sense. Yeah, it makes total sense that we're actually going more to the root um, mm -hmm. versus the symptom and what you said about, um, you know, positive affirmations, let's say. I sometimes can't get behind positive affirmations, even as a meditation teacher, even as someone who uses yeah. them. And those days that I can't get behind them because they feel like too much of a reach, I, I change the languaging to not, I am energized. I change it to, may I be energized? Almost like a, a an ask, almost like a prayer or something. Oh, right? I love it that. A question. Because then it feels like, oh, maybe I can open myself up to that possibility. And that's what resonates for me the most. But, okay, going back into this, um, I think I need to back it up a little bit more. For people who have never heard the term self-talk um, or negative self-talk. So let's just say self-talk as a whole. Can you just give us like a simple definition of what self-talk is? That's a great question. I love that you said this right off the bat because I think that it seem, it can seem like a no-duh to some people, but it's really important to be mindful of the words that we're using, not even just to talk to ourselves about ourselves, but the phrases that we use to define what we're doing in the first place. So self-talk is the narrative that we've got going on 24-7 that informs who we are and who we walk through the world. So I like to say that we, we are who we believe ourselves to be. And 
that belief can be informed by the way that we interact with the world around us, our family of origin, our caretakers, our social situations. And a lot of times people will talk about separating yourself from who the world has told you to be, to, you know, to use a phrase that I think is used a lot in sort of the yoga and mindfulness uh, sphere. However, we're humans, which means that we are influenced by the world around us. That's that's a part of what makes us human and not robots at or, you know, sociopaths where we've completely turned ourselves off to every single person. So we are continuously being molded and shaped like clay by the people around us, by the world around us that came before us, that is all around us right now. And all of that informs your sort of self-told story and your self-talk story. And that is something that is wonderful because you are you are responding and you're interacting with the world around you. That's what's able to help you come alive as a person. Negative self-talk is where that sort of self-talk, self-told story takes a dark turn, right? It's a story where we are belittling who we are, what we do, how we walk through the world. And what can be dangerous about that is that because we are so easily influenced by the world around us, that can start to become our truth. And sometimes we develop this self-talk, not because we actually believe what we are saying, but because we want something that's deeper, right? We want some level of connection. There is so much research around uh, negativity bias and looking for, you know, a common enemy, if you will, or using negativity as a way to develop a connection. Like that scene in Mean Girls when they're all looking in the mirror and they're talking about what they don't like about themselves and their bodies. And so when it comes to self-talk, if you are functioning under the assumption that self-talk is either positive or negative, that can actually prevent you from addressing that information that's underneath, right? Because what we can say is this is negative, this feels bad, and so I must be bad. But what if something that felt negative or felt bad actually felt bad in our minds, felt uncomfortable, if you will, because it was part of us that needed to be nurtured, a sense of duty or obligation to one thing, um, a memory that we have that was being stirred up. Maybe it feels uncomfortable because you're learning something new and you're actually growing. Like there's so much information that is underneath our self-talk. And so what I found and why I love that we're talking about this right off the bat is that even just that reframe of self-talk isn't inherently good or bad, positive or negative, it's information and get people to get curious about these stories and these feelings or phrases that they've internalized without going down this negative self-talk spiral of this feels bad. Why am I feeling bad? 
I must be a bad person. I thought that I was over this by now because I've done this work for so long. It really can keep going and going if, if you don't look at it through the lens and the definition that it actually is, you know? Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm picking up what you're putting down, but I love to apply it to real life and use examples. And I've got a few that I was thinking about in my mind. Oh, what negative thought pattern can we pull from today? And I'm going to just choose. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. But I'm going to choose like a a more, an easier one, I think, which is more based in like vanity. So hopefully more people can relate, but let's just say I, and this is the truth. I have this like voice in my brain that when doing work virtually, so like filming my classes and content, filming the podcast, I will look at myself on camera and be like, oh my God, I look horrible. Look horrible on camera. And then that little voice turns into, you shouldn't be doing this. You look horrible. And and then it started from like, you know, not loving how I look on camera and then ripples into like procrastination or other things. So how would one get past that thought? It's not replacing it with, no, Lily, you look gorgeous. It's like, you're saying I got to go deeper and like, why am I concerned about what I look like? Is that, is that the direction I would go in or what would you say? Yeah. I love that you said, what would one what would one do? What would one say? And there was some pointing at self action. So yeah, if you're asking for a friend, hypothetically, I mean, we were just talking before we started recording. I am on camera with you right now. I have zero makeup on. I put a little bit of lip gloss. I, I, I curled my eyelashes very quickly while you ran and you got your tea. Um, that is something for me I mean, I think that I love that you gave that example because I feel like it's so relatable, especially post 2020 when all of us started to hop, well, not all of us, but many of us started to hop onto the internet and on Zoom and on FaceTime and our primary mode of communication was virtual and it was from basically the collarbone up, right? And so- we were not used to looking at ourselves in also in in a reflection view, right? Because a lot of times FaceTime or Zoom or whatever you're using will mirror whatever you're seeing. Um, we just weren't used to it. And so I think that, you know, using myself as an example, when that started to happen, I felt the same types of feelings where I was like, ooh, like that lighting is not looking so good right now. Or, you know, you're you're looking tired, Katie. And sometimes it, spoiler alert, was because I was tired. <laughs> so that was a very real thing. Um, but because I've been doing this work for so long, I, I was, I just counted and I realized that it's going to be 16 years this winter since I first thought of the idea for want, which is my platform, Women Against Negative Talk. Um, What I realized after doing this work for so long is part of the reason I felt uncomfortable is because I wasn't used to seeing myself in a certain way, or I wasn't used to seeing myself without makeup or in not ideal lighting 
or when I just woke up or when I was about to go to bed or from the clavicle up. And so if that's the information that I was getting, I realized very quickly that if I felt uncomfortable because I wasn't used to it, the anecdote wasn't to tell myself that I was amazing and beautiful and all these things. The anecdote was to get used to it. And that was only one part of the equation, right? Because you just gave the example of, you know, teaching a class or doing a podcast and you can say these things to yourself or feel these feelings. And you mentioned procrastination, which I mean, join the club. That is something at the beginning of the book or towards the beginning, I give sort of a suite of questions that people can ask themselves when they find themselves in whether it's a negative self-talk loop that just keeps going in the moment or they find themselves saying the same things to them over and over and over again. And one that has been incredibly useful for this type of situation, for me, for the clients that I work with, is asking yourself, what is my priority right now? And is this one of them? And this is something that I, especially during this book promotion process, I have had to ask myself over and over and over again, where I want to maybe look a certain way on a podcast or like going in studio is a big one for me because that is not being filmed in the comfort of my home. I do not have my entire closet and wardrobe and makeup and all of the things handy. Get dressed. I bring my things. I go. And what I realized is that it was very easy for me to get stuck in, well, this doesn't look good enough, or I don't look X way or all of these different things that are very similar to what you were saying. And I would have to say, okay, Katie, what is your priority? Is your priority that you have the most perfect of perfect outfits, hair, whatever for this? Or is your priority that you are on time and you film this segment at, you know, NBC or whatever it is, that is the priority. And so asking myself that over and over got me into the habit. And I'm, you know, I'm very lucky and privileged that I have been doing this work for so long that when the stakes got really high, I was already in the habit of asking myself these questions, but asking myself and asking oneself, what is my priority in this situation can start to sort of reconfigure what your brain is focusing on. And that doesn't get rid of the feeling that you're feeling. So you are also telling yourself that you're on your own side in, you know, without saying it explicitly, you are saying, okay, I'm going to allow you to feel the way that you're feeling. You're not being silly. You're not being ridiculous. This is how you feel. And also, you've got this priority over here. So let's pay attention to that. And I think that when we think of this work, when it comes to shifting our self-talk, and I love that you brought up a, a physical one, because a lot of our negative self-talk can come up around our body or our looks, which makes sense because we are existing in our bodies all of the time, 24-7, even in when we are asleep, because, you know, this is who we are. We are, we are in our bodies. And, yeah. and also, you know, also uh -huh. 
the the beauty standards of the world and what all the things were being sold left and right mm-hmm. and all the like skin creams and anti-aging campaigns and gorgeous men and women on all over Instagram it's it's easy to compare and think yeah but i love what you said about reprioritizing because most of the time this shows up for me in the 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 work realm because mm. that's what i'm seeing myself i don't really do video and camera outside of work um and my work is as you know it's about meditation and yoga and and, and serving and helping and it's like getting real with this is actually not about me at all and how i look it's just about sharing information to help other people and so that's a really nice realignment and refocusing um away from like more of and you know maybe more ego based yeah. self talk yeah. and, and like what you said about the negative and positive it's like if you just take your self talk as it, it is what it is what it is you don't have to attach so much to it, mm-hmm. right? Like so much weight, yeah. so much emotion. That's kind of the mindfulness approach to it. Yeah. And the fact that you mentioned that for you, it shows up a lot around work. Um, first of all, that you use more the virtual platforms for work. And also you, you know, having having met you once before virtually and having talked to you and even just talking to you right now, it's very clear that you care deeply about the work that you do. And so it makes complete sense that besides this is, you know, the platform that you show up on for work exclusively, it makes sense that these are some of the things that would come up for you because they matter. It matters so much, right? Like it wouldn't be coming up if you didn't care. And I think that's really important for people to recognize, especially with, maybe work-related negative self-talk or negative self-talk that comes up around certain things having to do with passion or purpose or connection even. Yeah. So another question I had for you. Um, I also feel like um, self-talk and the more negative self-talk, maybe we can label them as limiting beliefs or things that are holding you back from being your biggest, brightest, fullest, most authentic self. Um, I sometimes think our survival mechanism is what's creating those thoughts because we have such, you know, embedded in us this this survival mechanism that's designed to keep us safe. So not putting ourselves out there, not going into potentially dangerous situations. And so we have this talk maybe there to protect us. Would you would you agree with that? And if so, how do we override that and like tell ourselves we're safe? Totally. Yeah, that that is very good information to be underneath your negative self-talk and to recognize and to honor that, oh, I am on my own side and there's some part of me that just wants to keep myself safe. I mean, how beautiful is that? It would be a problem if we walked through the world and we did not want to keep ourselves safe, right? Like these fe- these feelings of fear or um, discomfort or trepidation, these are all here for a reason. We don't feel things 
out of thin air. And so much of it is linked to these very basic needs or desires that span across humanity. And because you mentioned the safety part, when I think of keeping yourself safe, I think of the opposite end of that, which is fearing something and these fears that might come up and manifest through what you're telling yourself or how you're feeling, even if you maybe don't identify it as fear in the moment. But I think that what is interesting is once you get to that information section, then you have to ask, okay, so so what am I going to do about it? How am I going to be proactive? And that goes into how do I be myself out in the world and how do I stay myself when things get really tough? And so when I talk about fear in particular, keeping yourself safe, I describe fearlessness as when the fear that you have of a situation is less than the faith you have in yourself. So the fearlessness is when the fear is less than the faith. And that sounds like a pretty phrase that you can plaster on social media. And believe me, I have done that many times. I believe I did last week. But it's also an equation, right? Because if we are looking at not stopping the fear or saying, okay, step aside even, and all we're doing is rebalancing the scales and tipping the scales more towards the faith in ourselves instead of the fear. So it's outweighing the fear. Then it allows both to exist, right? And it sort of gets back to that what's my priority question? Because sometimes the fears will be legitimate. Sometimes we want to keep ourselves safe and we should probably do that. So we don't want to get rid of this beautiful survival mechanism that we have. We just want to get clear on what's actually happening and when it's worth following that and when it's maybe a bit misguided. And so I find that even numbering out the things that you are afraid of when it comes to a situation and then listing out and numbering out the ways that you have faith in yourself. And having one more, two more, it can be a very small thing. Just having more faith points than fear points, what that can do is it can give you a, a visual of, oh, yeah, cool. I actually do have a lot of my faith in myself in this. And so I am able to still be afraid. But look at how much more faith I have. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. One of the reasons why I love meditation is because I feel like it stretches time. So many of us, me included, wish that we had more time in the day. We can feel like we don't have enough time to do all the things we want to do. And one of the best ways to manage our time is to get super clear on what's truly important and make that a priority. I've found therapy to be a super helpful way to define my values and set boundaries. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, super convenient, and you get matched with a therapist to meet your specific wants and needs. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash morning ritual 
to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash morning ritual. The morning ritual is sponsored by Recess Mood. One healthier alternative to alcohol after a stressful day is Recess Mood. So Recess Mood is a sparkling water and it's infused with functional ingredients like magnesium and stress-balancing adaptogens. So you can relax without the alcohol or the hangover. Podcast listeners get 15% off the Recess Mood Sampler Pack at takearecess.com slash TMR. Recess Mood is made with real fruit and it comes in four delicious flavors like strawberry rose and raspberry lemon. With only 20 calories and no added sugar, it's a guilt-free way to unwind. You deserve a healthier way to unwind. Head to takearecess.com slash TMR and get 15% off Recess Mood, your go-to alcohol replacement. The Morning Ritual is sponsored by Factor. Factor's ready-to-eat meals make eating healthier so much easier. These meals are chef-made, they're dietitian-approved, and delivered right to your door. With Factor, you have over 35 different options a week to choose from. There's no prep, there's no mess, Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. Just head to factormeals.com TMR50 and use code TMR50 to get 50% off. That's code TMR50 at factormeals.com TMR50 to get 50% off. Yeah, I love that. And and along those same lines, I I love working with fear um, in the sense of playing out the fears because oftentimes if you really think about the fears and you play it out and you realize the faith that underlies it and the faith outweighing it, yeah, it's it's a really effective way to to get past that and move through it. So thank you for for sharing that. And and so Beyond like wanting to keep ourselves safe, um, I also find that there's a direct relationship between our own self-worth and the health of our self-talk. Like if we, you know, so going back to the sense of knowing yourself and having a healthy, strong sense of self-esteem and self-worth would be a nice gateway to to improving our self-talk. Is that something that you've found? Is that something that you can share, like tools to improve our self-worth and self-esteem? Yeah. No, I love that you brought up self-worth because I was just at an event and someone asked a question around self-worth. And what's really interesting is if we think, uh, we think of self-worth and we think of the phrase and how the phrase makes us feel, right? But if we think of worth on its own, worth is a comparative thing. And so if we are thinking of our self-worth, that means that we are, whether it's conscious or not, we are comparing ourselves to the world around us and looking and saying, okay, well, 
how do I relate to this? Where do I fit in in the mix? And that's why a lot of times when we spend our lives trying to fit in over and over and being these sort of chameleons to fit in our environments. Brene Brown talks about this so beautifully that fitting in is is looking to other people and sort of gauging how you need to dial up, dial down, completely shift yourself. If that's where people are starting, then it makes complete sense that there's going to be low self-worth because the the inkling of who you are is barely even a spark. And so it feels so teeny tiny. And so everything is going to feel like it's way more worth worthy and have way more value than you do because you don't even know what about you is valuable, right? And so I talk a lot about belonging, which, you know, High Priestess Brene also talks about where belonging is something that begins and ends with you. It's that feeling of trusting that you are you, are you, are you, are you, wherever you go. And so it's not about changing who you are to fit a situation. It's about being who you are in every situation. And so when it comes to self-worth and to your question of raising it, we've got to feel like ourself is a value first in order to raise our self-worth. And so I talk a lot about the importance of self-trust, being truthful with yourself, and how to do that in a way that is like a yoga practice or that is like building a habit where you're doing it over and over again so that it feels like, okay, I am starting to develop this sense of of deep trust and really unconditional love for myself, even in those moments when I don't like myself, because those are two different things. And then you start to develop, okay, this idea of how valuable am I? And that is when the self-worth conversation can really start to shift because you are developing your relationship with your own value instead of just looking outside and valuing everything else out there. And it's, you know, it's easier said than done, but I wrote a book on it instead of an Instagram post. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I love, I love that. You're like, you know, don't try to fit into all these different situations, bring yourself into all those different situations. And yeah, it's, it's such an important thing. and such an amazing reminder. And, and I'm just going back to like little Lily in school and as a kid, like so much is about just fitting in and like to be able to teach this stuff to little children of like, no, it's about being you. That's a whole side tangent. And and something I want to actually return to that you said is there's a difference between self-like and self-love. Can you dive into that? Yeah. Isn't that fat? I mean, you you have the book and so spoiler alert, we know that self-like and self-love are different things, but isn't it fascinating when you start to view self-like or self-dislike as not even in the same conversation as to whether you love yourself 
or not. So when I talk about self-love, I talk about it more along the lines of the way that we talk about having unconditional love, whether that's for a child, for a dog, for a cat, for someone, something, some being in your life. This is something that it, it doesn't matter really if you temporarily disagree with this person or if you don't like or enjoy something that is going on. I'll use a very personal and incredibly recent example. My dog, Frankie, I love her so unconditionally. It, it, it blows my mind sometimes. When you were talking a few minutes ago, I pressed the mute button on Zoom because she started barking at something that was outside the door. And I was like, really, really, Frankie, you're going to bark right now. And I got really annoyed in my brain for, you know, those few seconds. And that doesn't affect my love for her. I was annoyed with her. I'd prefer she didn't do that. But I love her deeply because I have you know, the, the deep relationship, I have the respect, I have all of these things, whether again, whether it's a pet or a person or an entity, when you develop unconditional love, it's something that has building blocks that have been built over time that have kept that love unconditional. And so if we're talking about self-love. We have a relationship with ourselves just like we have a relationship with every other person, thing around us. So if we're able to, not to you know harp on it, but if we're able to build this sense of deep self-respect, sense of trust, sense of, okay, what is the truth? Not just of who I am, but of what I'm saying. Like, am I telling myself the truth? That's when we can start to develop this unconditional love that really is completely neutral as to whether we like or dislike what's happening now, because we are able to dislike the way that we look. We are able to dislike something that we said. We are able to be uncomfortable in a situation and feel a way about that feeling while also still loving ourselves, which is a, a a pretty powerful reframe and also living in a culture that talks about self-love in a very specific way. If people are listening and they're thinking this is amazing and then they start to try and do it and it feels hard, what I would say to people is that makes sense because you've been living your life under the assumption that these two things are exactly the same thing. And so it might take a little work to tease them apart, but it is so worth it. So worth it. Hmm. Yeah. And it gives space for, for nuance where you have this mm -hmm. like foundation of deep love that nothing can shake, but, and you can still be disappointed at the way you handle the situation and that can be valid too. 
instead of all or nothing, like, oh my God, I'm amazing. I love myself. I just did really great work and got many likes on my Instagram, whatever. And, or, you know, these two extremes. So I think that's really um, important, especially in this work of self-growth and self-development. It is way more nuanced than some people like to say. Totally. Well, and to your point and to what we were just talking about, there's also a big difference between looking at yourself and thinking that your hair is amazing or your body looks awesome in whatever outfit you're wearing. You can really like parts of yourself and also not have that deep self-love. A lot of times I think, and especially as I've been talking about this subject more over the last couple months as the book has been coming out, I think a lot of people can talk about having having deep sense of self-love and not necessarily liking things, but the other can be true as well. And so if people are thinking, well, I don't understand why I have such low self-esteem to use your word, such low self-worth because I actually think that I look great all of the time and I'm crushing it at work. Yeah. You can like those things, but without that base of that, that, that base that builds that unconditional self-love, it's going to feel a bit empty inside. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so just kind of wrapping up the conversation, I want to end with a few rapid fire, very easy to answer questions in a moment. But before we get into that, I'm curious if you could give us like three tangible tips to take away, tangible tips to take away. Mm. (laughs) A lot of teas going on over there Um, around shifting self-talk. What would they be? Mm. Great question. Some of this we already talked about, but number one, I would tell people to use that reframe of self-talk is neither good or bad, it's information, and get curious as to what that information is. And remember, it is not always going to be like the deepest, most profound thing. Sometimes it can be as simple as, oh, I haven't had any water today, or I didn't get enough sleep last night, but really getting curious as to what that information underneath your self-talk is trying to tell you. That is essential. I would also say if we are going more into, I don't want to say going straight into the talk part of the self-talk equation, but if we're talking about what we spoke about before, those believable examples I would tell people that when they are feeling a sense of discomfort, unease, any of these things that can sort of lead us down this negative self-talk spiral, I would ask people to, instead of jumping to a pretty phrase and putting that over a negative one, I would ask people to ask themselves, okay, what can I believe right now? What can I believe? And that again, could be really simple. It could be, I believe that I am 
enthusiastic. So I'm going to show up to this and I, I know I'm going to be excited and have probably like some, some happy sort of energy going into this hard situation because I am a very enthusiastic type of person. I am kind. I'm a good listener. These things that you already believe to be true that are not a reach, those are the types of things that you want to be reminding yourself of over and over. And then the final thing that I would tell people is to be proactive, not reactive, because all of this work is great work to do, but it's not really much if we don't take it with us out into the world and do something about it and do something with it. And what's more is that life will keep lifing. Things are going to throw you for a loop. And it will be very easy to react to that experience. So whether that means recoiling or it means functioning from a very pure, I am going to sort of like fitting in, I'm going to respond to this situation at hand right now and sort of figure out how I can settle the waters or do whatever I need to do in order to make this situation, this person happy, whatever. You can do that while being proactive. Being proactive, I look at it like playing on the offense of your life. You are moving forward and you're moving forward with that level of fearlessness that you keep having faith in yourself to take the next step. So I think those three things, the information, the believable examples, and being proactive, not reactive, that combination is a great, um, let's call it starter kit for people. I love it. Just made a little starter kit. And yeah, this, you know, for our regular morning ritual listeners who are used to our meditations and conversations around uh, mindfulness and working with the mind, um, this is where all of those meditations get to, um, all that work gets to apply into your life. So we've practiced observing the mind with that non-judgmental awareness. We've we've talked about, you know, getting to learn the patterns of the mind and, and creating a little bit of space and time with the breath so that you you don't react, that you are proactive. So if you could combine the elements of yeah, pausing and feeling your feet on the ground and taking a deep breath as you observe what's going on in the mind and as you choose how you want to respond to life from a non-reactive, mindful place, um, they all go hand in hand and support one another. So I am so grateful you came on, Katie. And like I said, I want to end with these um, easy, easy rapid fire questions. And the first one, um, I want to know if you are a morning person or a night owl. Oh. I am a night owl who deeply values her morning time, whatever time the morning begins for her. (laughs) Awesome. So you would say your energy is actually like, your thinking is clear, your energy is up in the evening? I think that because of the nature of my work and I spend so much time in my head, I think that there's something about 
I'm someone who needs a lot of brain space to be able to process. I mean, it was so funny when people were talking about like my writing process, writing the book. I am someone who needs a lot of time up here in my head to sort of piece together things. And then once I get to the computer or the page, then I've worked all of that out. And so I find that especially when I'm doing more creative work, I'm in those seasons of my life. I think that night owlness suits me very well because what I do is I spend so much of the day in my head working, just nobody sees it. Um, and so the nighttime is really the time where I'm able to um, sort of like harvest those fruits, if you will. Hmm. Interesting. Cool. And so what's your favorite way to start the day? Oh, my absolute favorite way to start the day. This is why I value my mornings so much is to take a walk with my husband, Jeremy, and that unconditional loved, unconditionally loved pup that we talked about before, Frankie. I live in New York City. I live very close to Central Park. Riverside Park. There are hours during those park times where you can take your dogs off leash. And I mean, Frankie is a New York City dog and an Upper West Side dog through and through. And those mornings of being able to have our time together, the three of us, get our coffee at the coffee shop where they know us, they know our order, they know Frankie, um, and really enjoy the, the more peaceful side of of the city and our neighborhood that I think that some people might not think of when they think of New York City. It's just, it's the best. It is the absolute best. It's my favorite thing. Hmm. Oh, you made me miss New York. I was there for about nine or 10 years before moving to London. And um, mm. I have a New York City pup. Now she's a London pup, but born and bred in New York. So I get, the, I understand those mornings. Oh, um, and let's see if you could give 25 year old Katie a piece of advice, what would it be? Ooh, I could give 25 year old Katie a piece of advice. It would be keep going, keep doing what you're doing. Because I think that, I think that 25 year old Katie knew a lot of things that now 37 year old Katie knows and, and implements. And I think that 25 is a really interesting time where that's sort of time where we stop getting asked as humans, what do you want to be when you grow up, right? We're asked this question throughout our childhood, throughout our teens, even early 20s, especially if you're someone who goes off to you know college or university and you're majoring in something. But the second that you are sort of out in the real world, if you will, I think there's this pressure for people in their 20s and particularly mid-20s to have everything locked down and figured out because you're also not getting asked the question of, who do you believe yourself to be? Who do you want to be in your life? And what I would say is keep going and you're you're on the right track and just keep keep doing what you're doing because I think that that is actually the time in hindsight 
where because you are not getting asked that question, it's one of the first times in your life where you get to get really quiet and say, hey, well, who do I want to be? Who do I want to be when I grow up? And if nobody else is asking that question of me and they're sort of assuming that I'm all good, I'm all figured out, what do I get to think of me? And I think that that is something that is really, it's, it's not easy to see in the moment, but in hindsight, I can see that is exactly what happens. Um, and so I think that if you keep going down that path, and you start to ask yourself your own questions and answer yourself instead of answering to the world, I think there's just, there's, there's so much magic there. Hmm. Yeah. It's an age where you really, really start to dive into self and who you are, not what everyone else wants you to be. And um, yeah, keep going. That's good advice. Yeah. Well, listen, thank you so much, Katie, for coming on. And I want to encourage every listener to buy your book, Want Yourself. Yeah. So where can we find it? Yes. So people can find Want Yourself, Shift Your Self-Talk and Unearth the Strength in Who You Were All Along. As they say, wherever books are sold, I think it's important to note it is three words, want yourself, not two words, want yourself. And you can find it on bookshop.org, Amazon, Barnes Noble, Target, all of the places. They can also go to wantyourself.com or to either of my sites, katiehorwich.com or womenagainstnegativetalk.com to not only find the book, but also find a whole host of tips, tools, motivation, inspiration to shift their negative self-talk patterns. They can find that on the Wantcast, which is my podcast. Um, and I am on Instagram at Katie Horwich. And I love, I love interacting with people there. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we'll close off the episode the way that we always do with a full breath in. A complete breath out. And have a lovely day. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.